Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. Today is July 26, 2023, and we are so glad to have all of you joining us here today for this very special and important work. So the purpose of this um, webinar um, is to really to take part in this group meditation on goodwill, but also to discuss some of humanity's major problems with the aim of coming to a deepened understanding of their underlying causes and thereby building a thought form of solution. One of the objectives of World Goodwill is to promote a worldwide recognition of the power of goodwill through education, as well as programs promoting subtle actions which draw on the power of thought. And our aim is to cultivate a spiritual perspective of the future, which is founded on the fact of divinity, transcendent in nature, but in equal parts eminent in every human being. This positive vision is based on a recognition of the power of the human mind and soul and humanity's potential by virtue of its innate divinity for great good. We believe that this innate spiritual potential is adequate to solve all of humanity's problems, but it must, however, first be awakened and it must be directed with right vision, with selfless, with a selfless heart, with keen intellect, and of course with the power of will, that will being the will to good. So this goodwill meditation group aims to cultivate a deeper expression of goodwill, this energy of goodwill, through all manners of human thinking and relationships. The meditation group itself unites every Wednesday at noon in your local time zone, and we invite all of you to link up each week and to join in wherever you are. This webinar meets on the last Wednesday of each month and seeks to support the weekly work of the group and, of course, to introduce new members to its work. Today, we will have a, after our meditation, we will have a special guest, Dan Becker, who will speak on the theme stories from the founding of the UN, how the spiritual necessity to affirm the value of the individual and the fact of the one humanity manifests in the founding of the United Nations. And Dan, we very much look forward to hearing from you and to hearing all about your work with and on behalf of the UN. So now, sort of as we begin, I'd like to just to join together very briefly and to sound the mantra of the new group of world servers. And this mantra will appear on your screen. And we will conclude the mantra with a single sounding of the Om. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May I fulfill my part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. Oh. Thank <laughs> you. 
So before we proceed with our meditation, I'd like to take this opportunity to speak a bit about some of the core purposes of World Goodwill with the aim of putting into perspective why it is that we meet every month in support of this Goodwill Meditation Group and why this Goodwill work is so important. World Goodwill is founded on the idea that basic human goodwill is not just a mode of action. It is rather a great releasing and transformational energy. We believe that when this energy is rightly expressed through human thought and through human action, it has the potential to transform human relationships. And this transformation of human relationships is so significant because it is fundamentally human relationship that underlies our entire social structure, the political, economic, social, and cultural institutions on which human civilization is built at every level. Goodwill is not, therefore, a kind or passive or sentimental energy. It is positive and it is dynamic. And it is also contagious for it inspires right action and attitudes in others. And thereby it has apparently magical effects on human relationships. Goodwill is more than just a unifying attitude or a way of thinking. Of course, it is these, but rather it is also a way of being in relation to others. And it is this quality of being which is key to its magnetic quality and also to its efficacy in addressing world problems. World Goodwill maintains a strong belief that goodwill is key to addressing humanity's problems fully realizing and recognizing their profound complexity and that there are, of course, no easy solutions. However, we believe that underlying all of this profound complexity, there is a golden thread of simplicity and universality that holds the key to humanity's right direction. When this energy of goodwill is expressed through intelligence, and applied with wisdom and skill and action, then human institutions in every nation can move closer into alignment with the innate virtue and innate goodness, which world religions and wisdom traditions affirm as an irrevocable part of human nature. So it is the task of goodwill to take us from where we are to where we can be. And ours, our task as men and women of goodwill is therefore to promote a vision of the future, which is founded on the many principles of goodwill, among them, right, human relationship, cooperation, sharing, and all those qualities which are in alignment with the value of the individual and also the fact of the one humanity. Those two, of course, never being juxtapose in reality. Um, So through upholding this vision, the men and women of goodwill become intelligent mediators or linking agents which can resolve the conflict 
and hatred, which is so pervasive in the world today and which prevents constructive action on any number of world problems. And we know that goodwill looks different in different circumstances for different nations and when applied to different areas of human endeavor. Goodwill rightly expressed may not always lead to harmony in the immediate term, and it may necessarily come in half measures. The expression of goodwill must be context-dependent if it is to honor both the profound diversity of humanity as well as the essential and underlying unity of its higher nature. And so often it is not even clear which of the many paths available in any circumstance really is the path of goodwill. I think it's important for us to recognize this. Especially in the political sphere, leaders are frequently left with only a few or several bad options. And it is easy, of course, to fall into hopelessness as we watch our leaders wander through this quagmire of moral ambiguity in which we have dug ourselves. And it is a prison, surely, but it is one of our own design, us being humanity. We have the power also, therefore, because we have created it, to also remake these systems in a different image. But it requires a real act of the creative will, and it requires also that this creative will be aligned with the will to good. It is fundamentally and importantly this will or this power of will which galvanizes the energy of goodwill into a truly transformational and dynamic force in its expression. And today many people are awakening to this innate will to good and it is beginning to work its transformational effects in many areas of human enterprise. Though of course such changes cannot happen overnight, they take sometimes decades or generations to achieve. So it's no secret that world goodwill um, being an activity of the Lucis Trust is founded on esoteric and spiritual principles which inform its objectives and the organization and planning of all of its work. Fundamentally, this work seeks to see humanity as a whole awaken to its potential as a great mediating agent between high spiritual ideals and energies and their expression in the world of human living and through all kingdoms and nature. And the expression of goodwill is as key to this spiritual objective as it is to the more mundane objective of addressing world problems. And we see these two objectives as entirely intertwined, as two sides of the same coin. In fact, the source of goodwill is founded on spiritual levels, for it is an aspect of divine love, which is the most powerful energy in operation on our planet. Goodwill is therefore always present and available for our use by virtue of it being a spiritual energy. And we know that meditation also is one of the preeminent means by which we can tap into this source of, of spiritual love and therefore this source of goodwill. And we can, through meditation, become channels by which it can transform our own attitudes and outlooks, permeate our identities and being, and thereby able to pour through us and through our group to others. And so meditation is a potent means of aiding the men and women of goodwill 
to become positive and transformational agents within their social and professional environments, as well as, at the same time, putting them into contact with these, quote, higher angels of their nature. And so in this, this vertical, this very spiritual aspect and the very horizontal or service aspect of meditation, when these two sides are, are emerged and really become two sides of one coin, then meditation becomes also, becomes as much a, as much as a spiritual pursuit, it becomes also a means of discerning right action, of inspired creative thinking, and of mo- merging a right and sober perspective of the present with a positive and magnetic vision of the future. And so meditation, as we know, has fundamentally to do with truth, with love, and therefore is very closely allied with the right use of the mind and with the cultivation of wisdom. Both of these very much needed in our world today. And so we can keep these points in mind now as we proceed with our meditation on goodwill. Meditation form will appear on your screen shortly. So we begin by taking a moment to link up in thought with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation Group. We reflect upon the fact of relationship with our families, with our communities, with our nations. With the world of nations. And with the one humanity composed of all races and nations.
We sound together the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love, let love prevail. Let all people love. Reflect upon your own and humanity's relationship with all those beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. The spiritual hierarchy of saints, of rishis, bodhisattvas, and masters honored by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Now imagine that you are standing together within the center of that spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ. Other faiths have other names for the one at the center.
maintaining that high point of contact, let your thoughts reach out to include all those members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Sound the affirmation of love. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. We visualize the energy of love flowing from the hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships.
meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships, and restoring peace on earth. Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems, and healing all cleavages. And now linked in thought with the men and women of goodwill all over the world, sound together the adapted version of the great invocation. We say it with deliberation and with full commitment to its meaning, knowing that we are radiating its potent energies to humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, Let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Thank you, everyone. So I'd now like to invite Dan Becker to come on and you can uh, open your video, Dan, and unmute yourself. Hi, Dan. Hello. Hi. Good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. So just a, a brief introduction. Dan is a longtime member of World Goodwill and a student of the Ageless Wisdom. Professionally, he is a composer, educator, and board member of the UNA San Francisco chapter. He received his doctorate of musical arts from Yale University and has taught composition at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. He is currently producing a series of podcasts for a uh, series of podcasts on the founding of the UN for Pass Blue. And um, we're really looking forward to the presentation you have planned for us today. So take it away. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. It's a real pleasure to, to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. Um, <clears throat> the, the one thing I'd love to start with because it was part of our meditation was this, this quote that we, we use that I love, which is the, uh, the value of the individual and the fact of the one humanity. Um, when I first read that, that quote, I, I fell in love with it completely because it's so much to ponder on it. At first, it seems like they're, they're opposites. And then the more I, I studied, I thought, well, it's such a hard balance to get, and it's so easy to lean one way or the other towards the individual or towards the one humanity. And even teaching composition with my students, I could see a student in their artistic expression leaning one way towards the individual, individualistic notion of, of what their art should do, and then others leaning maybe too far towards the towards the, um, uh, the large group humanity. And then at the one part of the meditation, we went from family to community to nation to world of nations to humanity, each one of those steps to manifest uh, the value of the individual and the fact of the one humanity is, is uh, so difficult and so worth worthwhile to continue to try and get that balance. So I'm, I'm delighted that we're sort of working under the umbrella of this, but, but the, the main subject has to do with, uh, the founding of the United Nations in 1945. And I need to say right away, this is all inspired by my falling in love with a, a book uh, by the scholar Stephen Schlesinger. And I'll just briefly show it. It's called Act of Creation. And it's a story of the founding of the United Nations. And I believe it's the only book that's, that's solely on the, uh, the founding of the United Nations. And uh, when I began uh working what I call United Nations world about just only three and a half years ago, I, I fell in love with a couple of things and, and, and Stephen's uh, book was one of them. Um, and I'll talk about it now, but, but because of the, our keynote, I thought I'd sort of jump and I want to bury the, bury the lead, so to speak. So I'll jump to kind of what was the big question, one of the main passions of, of doing this book, because the United Nations is one of the best manifestations of this challenge of the value of the individual and the, the fact of the one humanity. And I say in the podcast, uh, podcast two comes out tomorrow, by the way, and it, it's mostly about 
the San Francisco conference, I should, I should say this, the charter was, uh, worked out, hammered out. It was called the San Francisco conference. They went from April 25, 1945 to May, uh, to June 26, 1945 for two months. And it was during that time that the charter was hammered out and signed on June 26, 1945. And, uh, there's so many fascinating stories about how that came to, to, to be and so many uh, stories of, of goodwill uh, winning the day in, in one conflict over another. But in the intro of the, the podcast, I, I actually say these words. I say, you know, so how on earth do you get so many separate nation states from around the world, all who hold their national self-interest close to their hearts to ultimately act in unison on one simple but not simplistic fact that in the end, humanity is one. So I found a way to, to get that, sneak that idea into this, this more, uh, uh, general public, uh, podcast. But, and then I say right away, let's not romanticize too much because it was not easy. <laughs> and then we go on and tell all these stories of the storm clouds and, and the conflicts of the, of the founding of the UN. But I wanted to just to start with that because I think after I fell in love with this book and with Stephen and with this idea, uh, I, I, um, eventually realized that that was part of, of what drew me to this so much because in the end this is like the great experiment a, a, a venture of the united nations you know the ultimate one of, of every country the value of the individual country its language its culture its food t- to never lose that um and yet to always know that we're connected as one humanity what a what a wonderful goal and what a wonderful institution um uh, organization that that uh, uh you know has that as kind of its core mission and then to see what happened how on earth did it come to be um, and then, uh, cause most of us, um, grew up with it in existence. And then how have we fared in, uh, following some of that energy and, and dynamics that, that created it? So Michael did a great job of giving a, a brief, uh, recap of my, of my background. So that's wonderful. So you, you all heard that I, my professional life is as a, a musician, a composer, an educator. Um, and, uh, the story of that I'll sort of pass by, which I would love if anyone has a question. By the way, I would love if anyone uh, were to ask some questions, please put it in the chat. I told Michael to please go ahead and interrupt me if if someone had a question, because there's so many threads and and stories here. Um, But uh, somewhere, um, I I made it all the way up to teaching the conservatory, became chair of the composition department. And then I stepped down from, from the department of school during a period of world turmoil and ended up here. <laughs> and I've been working uh, in this, this world for uh, three and a half years, um, doing project after project. And now I'm involved in this, this uh, podcast about the founding of the United Nations. And the story behind my love affair <laughs> with this book has to do with when you come into this world, it is such an overwhelming organization. It's, it's, I've talked to many journalists and many people that still can't wrap their minds around the entirety of this organization. And I heard so many people trying to explain it to me, and I, I could not really grasp the heart, the soul of, of, of the United Nations very much. And then I read Stephen's book, and I felt that I finally, for the first time, began to sort of understand the guts, the heart, the bones of the of the United Nations. So I recommend to, to anyone to, to, to please read this book. The stories of how it came to be are so relevant today i'll make a very controversial statement which is that um if secretary general Guterres had uh, studied steven's book in the months before ukraine war broke out i honestly believe with all my heart that things would have unfolded very differently 
Um, there are stories and teachings in this book that would have, uh, if anyone took them seriously, would have created a very different course of action during those months and months and months where tanks were amassing around around Ukraine. So one of my own activist tendencies is to to get this message out, to get Stephen's message out, because it's just so useful now. It's also a fantastic story, just as a story, but it's also tremendously relevant and useful. I don't think I would be so potently involved with this if it wasn't so it wasn't so so useful. So as I fell in love with Stephen's book, I, I just kept telling him that he needed to get the story out there. That it was just too too good, too potent, too useful. You know, I, I tried to break into Ken World, Ken, uh, Ken Burns documentary land. To, to I thought this would be the perfect Ken Burns uh, culmination of his career to, to write a make a documentary on the founding of the UN. Uh, you know, he's into the American story, but you know the American story that it is a wonderful one, but also the greatest international story that, that he would have ever ever made. I made a little contact there. I, I you know that may pay off one day. But if, eventually, I found out that through my my work and tools as a composer and just uh, my excitement about podcasts in general, that that it would be really nice to make a podcast series about about this. So we put into motion a three part podcast series. We treated part one as almost a pilot that we put out in April and it was received very, very well. So then we move forward to do two and three. And as I mentioned, part two comes out tomorrow. Um, I believe hopefully. And, uh, uh, the whole idea was to, to, to share this story. And so the first part was setting the scene, um, of what the context of the world was like, uh, when the United Nations was, when that conference was started in April 1945. The second episode is about the conference itself, those two months and the storm clouds and the conflicts and the problems and the unsung heroes that came out of that conference. Again, I, those stories I can tell more specifically later. And then episode three will be sort of a summing up, seeing how well uh, those lessons that were learned then are, have held to the 77 plus years of the United Nations. Um, but uh, uh, it's a subject that I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated with and and have enjoyed tremendously uh working on. I was able to meet with Stephen for oh, two days for for four or five hours each day, uh having a fantastic conversation from which I then uh enjoyed the challenge of editing down into three thirty minute uh, podcasts. There's there's so much information there. But he is a a you know a wonderful uh there, there's one expression in the teachings uh it says uh, um an understanding heart, you know, and I've heard the uh, phrases and meditations that use the word heart, a loving heart, a radiant heart, um, many, many, many. I had never heard the expression an understanding heart, and I find that very beautiful. And um, and Stephen has a has an understanding heart. I think he's about 80 years old now. Um, his father's Arthur Schlesinger, the the very renowned uh, public intellectual and who won a Pulitzer Prize on the the, the history of the uh, John F. Kennedy administration so he grew up in a family filled with global uh, uh celebrities but uh he found i think that that in some ways makes a a, a very intelligent uh, scholar person really work on only those things that they are passionate about and the story about how he came to do it is a, another interesting story that i could share if, if people are interested but i uh, very quickly i just pause for a second to see if uh, michael or anyone else has any questions before maybe i dive into some of the more specific stories of the of the conference. Hi, Dan. I don't have any questions um, at this point, no. So I just, okay. I'm grateful just keep, to have I'll you just, keep, yeah, just keep going into some <laughs> of the stories and it'd be really great to hear. Yeah. No, I'll keep going because I, I talk fast and I worry that people aren't able to 
to ask, maybe ask some questions. Um, a couple of things that I, I'm delighted, I'm delighted to talk to this group because until my thirties, I did not find people on a spiritual path that believed that the world, the socio-political world around us, uh, was a place where we could implement, uh, that spiritual path, um, and, you know, growth that we were experiencing. And so when I came into this whole world, I was so delighted and happy that, that people realized, that of course, politics, the economics, the, you know, world hunger, all these issues were part of a spiritual path. So I'm delighted to be able to, to speak to you. And I can tell a couple of the stories from the United Nations that were a little too, uh, uh, had to be very careful, I thought, about, about sharing. And one of them that shared is that, um, you know, the conference was in San Francisco, which is a little bit unusual. You might not expect that. And the reason it was in, in San Francisco, it was that at the Yalta conference, when Churchill and FDR and Stalin got together for the final meeting, uh, before the conference started, um, FDR was very ill during this thing, but uh, the secretary of state at the time, uh, the person who ended up, uh, running the conference, the, the president of the conference itself, um, came down, um, at the, in Yalta, he had a dream and he had a dream as a, the conference that happened in San Francisco. So the whole reason that the chef, this famous SF conference happened in San Francisco, uh, is, is, uh, all because of Edward Stettinius' dream. And FDR thought about it and they talked about it for a while and he said, that's a great idea. You can hear Stephen tell this much better in episode one. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it, it sort of gives an emphasis on the Pacific part of the war, which was the main part of the war, the main active part of the war at the time. And then he also realized that when all the delegates from around the world came to United States, they would arrive in Washington or New York and they would all take trains there to San Francisco. And the idea of all of these, these delegates who, um, who were in war torn countries passing through the country, passing through the beautiful, uh, uh, natural qualities of our country through the abundant farms, through the, the lively cities, would sort of show the, 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 the vitality and the, you know, this, uh, our country wasn't, wasn't really touched physically by the war and just sort of show the abundance and wealth and, and, uh, 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 I suppose what I'm trying to think of, uh, another word for abundance that I think is the bounty of our, of our country. Um, and so when they, when they, they got to San Francisco, it would just create an extra sense of inspiration, uh, to the, to the attendees there. Now, another set of stories that I'll, I'll say for later are, are exactly how San Francisco worked for two months. Uh, here were a couple thousand, uh, representatives from around the country, um, all meeting together and, and arguing things out and talking and, uh, uh, issues of how they were fed, the entertainment they were given, how things were organized. It's just, again, that's part of the, the story part that would make it be very fascinating, but I'll, I'll pass by that for the, the moment. Um, to back up a tiny bit of how I, I became so interested in the United Nations, it's a, it's a tiny bit relevant. Um, I, I joked that, that, uh, I used to be what I would call a world citizen in potential. And we all know many people like that that are very receptive to all of these ideas that care about the world, that care about hunger and, and the war, but it's sort of on the, a little bit on the side. And so when I was working as a musician, I was, I was one of those. And then when I started working on the, on issues related to the UN, which I'll share how in a minute, I became what I call now a, a a world citizen in training. And uh, uh, that I find to be a very exciting position and mindset because suddenly there's vast panoramas 
of the entire world that open up in front of you and vast challenges and needs of the world that are calling for, for work. So it's very mobilizing. And, uh, suddenly I'm at a sort of adult age and to be so excited, you know, and motivating in the United States, we say it's like, it's like discovering peanut butter. I, I was, was thrilled to have so many fascinating, important, uh, uh, dire world, you know, world influencing events that, that needed work, you know, so this position of a, of a, of a, a world citizen in training is, is a very exciting one. And I encourage everyone listening, if you have any friends that you would call a world citizen in potential, to try and help nudge them into the one in training. Because the amount of energy that is released from all of us when we make that switch, I would argue, is just tremendous. So yeah. what happened to me was um, after stepping out from the conservatory, I was looking for a group to, to work with. I, I just felt I wanted to be more useful in the abstract world of contemporary composition. Uh, we would reach maybe a couple hundred people at a time, maybe a thousand or so. And I finally found the United Nations Association San Francisco chapter. For those who don't know, the United Nations Association is very, very old. It actually predates the, the San Francisco conference in, in the UN. And it basically has chapters all over the world, not just the United States, that are basically the goal is to educate people on the United Nations. Uh, their motto is to educate, inspire, mobilize. Now, I, I love that, but I think they have the order wrong. I just think it should be inspire, educate, mobilize. Because my own point of view is that you have to inspire first. And once you're inspired, then you're up for all of the nitty gritty grunt work to, to educate yourself, to learn, to, to, to study, to study the history. Uh, but, but that can happen so much more uh, uh, excitingly when you've been inspired first. And then mobilize. So if I ever get the ear of the president of the United Nations Association, I'll, I'll make, I'll make that comment that that'll have much, much luck. But to, to go back. So I met with the president of the United Nations Association in San Francisco, which our chapter thinks of ourselves as sort of special because the charter was signed there. Um, well, we met in uh, a building that I knew very well. It's called the War Memorial Veterans Building. And I wonder why we were meeting there for our cup of coffee. And it, and it turns out that was because that building houses one of the most influential, prominent musical concert halls in the city called Herbst Theater. And it's a concert hall I knew very well. I, I even had a, a, my first orchestral piece premiered there in my, my 20s. Several other compositions played. Every single performer I knew had performed in this theater. And I was asking, you know, why, why are we meeting in the lobby of, of, of this theater? And Mary tells me with surprise, like, oh, didn't you know that's where the United Nations Charter was signed? And at that moment, I had a little explosion in my brain. For 30 plus years, I had been in San Francisco coming to this building, and I had no idea that the United Nations was signed here. Since, since then, I've asked about every single musician I know in San Francisco. Not a single one knew that the United Nations Charter was signed there, and they were all incredibly amazed. So the opportunity of, 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 of these group of people receptive to these ideas that, that would have been meaningful if they actually knew that they were in that space, would have been a, a wonderful and it never happened. I, I looked through San Francisco tourist guides to see if the top 10 San Francisco events of the United Nations Charter signing was in them. Almost zero. I think there was one, one or two. So, so, uh, I, at that moment, that was the intersection that, that strange synchronicity that I, I would say I changed from a world citizen in potential to a, a world citizen in, in training. My, my path turned at that point. That seemed to me 
a kind of sign that when those two worlds of 30 years of music making and composing came together with this meeting of the this woman who ran the chapter of the United Nations Association. Mm-hmm. And since that time, like three and a half years ago, I've been completely committed to work connected to the United Nations. And, and at the moment, this podcast series is, is one of them. So that's just a little backing up. That's one reason why I, I'm just so excited and, and spreading the word to, to for people to to sort of make that little, little switch. Uh, so part of that was fun. I didn't want to interrupt you, but you did say no, please, to interrupt, please. but I had a quick, I no, had a, please. I just had a quote of comment and a question. Just the, um, you know, you bring up this very important sort of question about really global citizenship. You know, what, what, what is it, what does it really require to go from a, a global citizen in potential to an actual practicing or one like in training or one in practice? And I think for a lot of people, um, that may not be getting involved with the UN work directly. You know, oh, and exactly. I was wondering, and I was going to ask you, cause I know one of the, one of the great ways to get involved with sort of a, a sort of gl- global agenda, which actually works out in your local community is through the SDGs, the sustainable right, development right. goals. Yeah. And I was going to, I was just going to ask you how much, if you had anything to say about the sustainable development goals, if it's something the UNA is strongly promoting nowadays, if, and maybe even like how you see that. Um, if you look at the founding ideals of the UN and you look forward, which was mostly to me focused on peace and conflict at first, also development, but to now the, the mainly development focus of the UN. Do you see that as sort of a, how do you see that those, what is it now, like 70 years on, 75 years on? Well, so the first thing to say is, is, is I should have always prefaced this, that this is completely my own personal experience. I've never advocated this as the way to become a, a, yeah, a, a yeah. global citizen. And, uh, uh, United Nations, even the sustainable development goals. Um, but this was, you know, I was just sharing my, my personal experience, but, um, but yes, for every person, especially, you know, a, a person who meditates, who, who is, is on that path, um, things come before you that, that, that can help you make that turn. You know, we have the 75th anniversary of the United Nations a few years ago. So it made more of a public outreach than usual. And I, I, um, which is great. One of my big passions is how, is how poorly the United Nations reaches out to the general public and how fantastically FDR knew how to reach out to the general public. It's one of the big stories, one of the huge lessons of the, the founding of the UN. But that, that was a year that it did a little more. And, and I used to take the three questions it asked, how do you see the state of the world? And I would go around at parties and, and ask these questions to people. And people loved answering them. It was again a good example of people who are interested in these things, but no one ever asks them. And for everyone, it was something different. I mean, someone it was just world hunger. Someone else had to do with the arts, so it had nothing to do with with the UN. And then people in the UN, you know, proper. Yes, many of them. It's the sustainable development goals. That's the sort of their main prism. They look at things. And then again, with with those, with, with, with the seventeen, whatever they are. There's um one or two of them that that can anyone can probably find a, a passionate uh, affinity for. Um, but that doesn't even have to be through the United Nations necessarily. Um, you know, we were part of a there's a you know a, a thing that conventions for the rights of the child that every single country in the world has signed. Um, except the United States. So here's this uh, Convention for the Rights of the Child, and it has many provisions in it. And there are all these beautiful, fantastic child trafficking, child hunger, child creativity, individual. Um, and we're the only country in the world that has not signed it. It's, it's, it's shameful, <laughs> and it violates several of the sustainable development goals. So I apologize that, that some of my uh, uh, comments are a little 
critical. And I appreciate that that's always not the most desired approach, but, but they're all in the effort of manifesting the goodwill that is there in the charter, in the sustainable development goals. And, and I may not answer your question completely as, as you're asking, but, but I've also, the other love I had when I first came is the preamble to the charter. And I recommend that anyone, if they haven't read it in a while or haven't read it, it's a beautiful, um, inspirational page. You know, we, the peoples of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. And it has a, a, a phrase that are like the dignity of a human person, um, uh, uh, human rights for nations large and small, you know, uh, men and women. The, the expression human rights almost didn't make it into the, the preamble. But um, but the gap between the ideals of um, of an organization, of a, of a whatever it might be, and then the actual uh, how it's actually working at that moment, that gap is for me where, again, personally, where, where the work is. Because sometimes there are challenges that seem like they're very, very difficult. But when I look at it as, well, there's that, there's the ideals that are stated, they're there, and then there's how things are. And so it's not like injecting new ideas or new things into the organization. Even a lot of the sustainable development goals are sort of in there implicitly in the, in the, in the preamble. It's, it's that gap in between that a lot of work can happen. But to answer your question more, is is every person? It's it's different. There's there's through their own interest, their own meditation, their own uh, community. Um, something will perhaps raise their raise its head that they could you know commit commit to. For those who want to join a chapter of the United Nations Association, there's one in you know a huge amount of cities. One certainly near near you or near a drive near you. And that if it's the United Nations that that you're interested in, that's a fantastic way to um to just become part of a group that wants to educate and uh, uh, help the cause of, of the United Nations. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, very that, clearly was, or... that was, that was, that was great, Dan. Yeah. Thank you. And I would like to remind our audience, if you'd like to ask a question, this is certainly the time to raise your hand and do so. And you can raise your hand by going to your zoom toolbar, clicking on reactions and then clicking raise hand. And then see, I just raised my hand and now I've lowered it. So there were a few sort of very general questions in the chat, and one of them was sent directly to me. So I'll just read it for you, Dan. Uh, George Knox asks, could you please describe the spiritual energy that drove the attendees and how the process of profound spiritual connection and commitment is transmitted? So I guess he's asking sort of about like, was there sort of, was there a spiritual impulse that drove a lot of the attendees in this founding of the United Nations? I, th- I think there, there, there was some of it, uh, very subtle, you know, uh, like, like Stephen himself, for example, you know, I don't think he would call himself, uh, um, having a spiritual path, but, but he's, he's open in the way that we would recognize that. And in many of our discussions, and when I moved a little more towards uh, spiritual paths and ideas and Buddhism and things, he said, that's why he titled his book Act of Creation. It's because he thought of it as a spiritual thing. He thought of it as a, is it almost a, a universal, uh, a, a destined thing? Um, you know, act of creation is a particular phraseology that, uh, that one could have used the founding of the United Nations, but, you know, act of creation had sort of to him a kind of biblical uh, a feeling to it. So it was beautiful to see him come alive in a little bit of a different way at that point. Um, and many of the delegates, like a, a lot of the delegates went to Grace Cathedral, one of our most beautiful cathedrals in San Francisco, and would go there to, to uh, meditate. 
um, and uh, think about things. And, and you know, besides all the, the hustle and the arguments and the debates and the disagreements and the, the conferences and the plenary sessions and the committees, you know, a lot of people would take time out to, to you know, ponder these things. And on many delegations, there were people whose point of view was more of a spiritual one. The people on the, dele- on the committee to create the preamble, for example, a couple of those were a little more literary, uh, spiritually oriented than others. And then it's just more of, of a little more subtle in terms of how many people in the, the time of the UN just had a sort of sense of openness and equanimity. And one of the big interesting things is that this fellow Stratinius who had a dream, which to me was always much more meaningful than to the gang I know who just thinks it's interesting. Um, he, a lot of people thought he was not a good leader of the conference that he was just he was congenial he was conciliatory but he didn't really have strong policy views but in the end Stephen believes and i i, I for a second did, that he had a kind of personality a very open personality someone called him innocent and uh, uh he was able to hear every country's desires and needs and find a way to respect them to try and make a, a compromise it was always done with a kind of a, 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 a respect and a, um, appreciation for listening to these people. And Stephen says if someone had come from the State Department who basically says, we're the United States, we want to have it this way, this is what we did before, we're not going to debate anything, so it would have been a disaster. But this fellow, Edward Spatinius, who sort of disappeared from history, um, Stephen thinks of as a, quite of an unsung hero because he had this just this sort of strength, like, you know, it's almost like a naive genius he had as a way to, I mean, picture 50 countries all, you know, and, you know, the Soviet Union arguing with the United States about Poland, you know, um, Argentina, the whole, all of Latin America about to walk out because Argentina is not going to be accepted. I mean, one nightmare after another, and, and Stratinius was one of the people that helped through just a kind of, of, of goodwill. I mean, really seriously, goodwill stop, stop these things. So the handful of the people that really expressed that spirit and very, very strongly, Aristotinius. I mean, I never thought of it with that phraseology of goodwill. Um, cause again, everyone's had their self-interest at heart, even in the, in, even in the fact of the war and the war was still going on, by the way, and that ended. Um, uh, uh, he was a, a huge influence. I don't think that the charter would have been past the finish line if it wouldn't be for, for Stratinius. So I'm not sure that answered the, the, the question is, um, that's that's a great example and i can just imagine like the amount of the amount of these really all these strong forces because behind all these people advocating for their governments are these you know it's entire nation of people so all these forces from every angle and really it was this very sort of quiet and as you say sort of innocent and perhaps he didn't seem very powerful in the way that people normally thought of power during that time and yet he was able to produce sort of a creative power to make this whole thing possible so how how remarkable thank you thank you dan we've about come to the end but we have a hand raised so i think we'll just go a bit longer if that's okay dan if you can stay a bit past i'm I'm delighted to okay um david trice if you could unmute yourself go ahead yes hello dan i have a question uh, do you think that the UN Security Council should take any action against Russia for their actions in Ukraine? And is the UN Security Council a key component of the United Nations? All right. Well, that's a fantastic question. And I encourage you very much to listen to the podcast tomorrow because one of the things we talk about a lot is the, is the veto of the permanent five in the Security Council. And we talk about, he, Stephen is able to give talk about how it got there. 
And, and, uh, you know, I start off by asking him, I, I tell him that, that my feeling and, and my generation and my daughter's generation, especially, she just turned 20 yesterday. They just see the, the, the veto power as a sort of power grab, unnecessary, just the great powers trying to just uh, push people around. And, and, um, I learned it's much more, I, I use the word slippery than that. And Stephen describes the whole evolution of that coming. And, and the bottom line is that, that when the nation was founded, um, if there wasn't if there wasn't the veto power, the Soviet Union just would not have joined, and the United States would not have joined. And either one of them not have joined the UN, it would have just been doomed to failure. So it became an example of existing or not. And part of that came from the League of Nations that happened in the, the 20s where every country had veto power. So it did not want that to happen. So he set up the delegate from Belgium, talk about why it's, it's too, it's, it's spread too long. And, and very briefly, I'll, 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 when we talk about this one uh, uh, phenomenon that I think happened, I, I brought up the Declaration of Independence originally had a clause that condemned state uh, slavery and advocated for the enemy of slavery. Um, and in the end, the, the Southern states were ready to walk out and not sign if that stayed in. So there were arguments about whether that terrible things to stay in and and uh, john adams refused and benjamin franklin you know sort of accepted it and uh and basically the idea was that do you do you want to hold to your principles 100 percent and not have uh you know a new nation or do you make this terrible compromise and adams even says this will pay off our children's children will pay with this with their lives and he said that like around at the time so here's this terrible compromise that was made that that then we see what happened. So in some ways, the, the permanent five veto power, uh, uh, was one of those. It, it, it had to be there to just, for the organization to even exist. It's kind of, you know, without the United States and, and the Soviet Union, it just, it would have had no power. It would have just failed. And yet it also it did a good job of locking itself in. So it's almost impossible to change that. But I'll be having another podcast about there's one phrase and one article that I argue does give uh, a way t- to force certain nations to abstain on the veto. And it's very interesting to know, to, so, to show why that has not been used. And I am completely convinced that, that it's, it's there and people are just, um, it's just too, it's just too tiring to make it work. And, and, um, I'll do a, 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 a article or something on that. I'm obsessed with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us let us know if you do an article. I would love to see, would love to read it here. Yeah. Sure. I hope I answered the, the question. Okay. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Dan. Um, there are a few, a lot of comments and things. Um, yeah, and I don't think we really have time to read through all of them. Um, but I can send them to you, Dan, if you'd like. I'll send you the chat. Sure, sure. And if uh, I. Anyone wants to ask any questions to me personally, um, yeah. I can email now or Michael, you could write, you could write the, uh, Michael and then you can send me on, uh, send it on my email address. I'd be delighted to ask yeah. any questions. I, I feel a, 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 a real purpose of just, uh, getting the word, the word out of these, these kind of issues, uh, to everyone I can. You know, there's so many opportunities to reach, uh, uh, an educated general public. I think even the, 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 the studies we do is to say there's nothing more powerful than an educated general public. And I, I believe that completely. And I don't understand exactly why there's not more of a push to, to do that. Um, because people care. So. Yeah. Dan, there is actually one more question here I did skip over. If you have just maybe you could give, you could give a brief answer to it. It's about the SDGs. It's from Kaya Heislop. 
She says, could you run through the sustainable development goals and timelines to accomplish them? And also how are international relationships improving with regard to dialogue and exchange, I guess, with regard to those, how are the SDGs improving international relationships? Well, you reached a question where I don't have as much knowledge as I, as I could because okay. as a newbie, I, but, but I'll tell you what, what, what I do know. I mean, I think, you know, 2030 is the time when they're supposed to have been met. And one thing that I learned that maybe everyone knows that before the SDGs, there was the Millennium Development Goals that were evaluated from like 2000, 2015. And one of the things they discovered was they created all these goals, but they didn't think about what happens when you reach a goal. Um, what happens, you know, and the whole idea of sustainability was one of the things they, they analyzed and came to after those Millennium Development Goals that you had to create not just a goal to reach, but how to make it sustainable. And so when they redid the whole concept and created the 17, I think it's 17 sustainable development goals. Um, that was one of their, their main changes in thinking um, in doing that. And how well we're doing is, as you can ask people more intelligent than, than myself, I, I don't think too terrifically, but, uh, but people are trying. I mean, we try, we, we, we'll try endlessly, persevere. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like I'm not an expert in the SDGs either, but one thing I do believe is that, uh, or think is that they've, they're they're sort of much less contentious than a lot of sort of political issues that a lot of states have to contend with. And so they enable cooperation on issues which are less contentious and more sort of universal. Um, and in that way, they right. do sort of they have their sort of an underlying uh, agreement on them and uh, pe- their states are able to cooperate that way. So it sort of gets around these other barriers, you know, that maybe for now are insoluble. But completely, yes. Thank you so much, Dan. And uh, it was wonderful to have you. It was very, very enlightening talk and and, uh, and information you gave. And it was also really inspiring. I think most importantly, we've been well, inspired. Um, and so now people can go in f- and uh, the next step, education, you know, and then mobilization, right. of course, after that. So um, thank you so uh, much, well, Dan. Yeah. Bye, Stephen's book. And then, you know, listen the podcast if you like but, but first of all if it's if, if it's united nations interested in uh it's just a fantastic story uh, if nothing else um so thank everybody for for their uh their for listening i appreciate it. my delight to, to talk about it. all right yeah take care dan all right take care everybody thank you